yet it's, you know, we, we look at so many of the planning solutions that are out there right now. They use linear programming optimization for a highly nonlinear system. They use monthly buckets for uh, things that are varying far more frequently. Uh, there are all sorts of ways in which the model is actually not a very good representation of what is happening in the supply chain. And yet we use them. And the greatest lack is actually the adoption of, of variability. All of the planning solutions right now do not actually represent the supply chain in terms of a set of distributions, but rather a set of single values. You're listening to Transform Talks, the podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. I have to say that I'm really excited about this week's episode as I got to sit down with Bob Rogers and Trevor Miles, who are two world-renowned thought leaders in their respective fields. Now, our regular listeners may recognize Trevor because he is one of our regular guests. I just love having Trevor on the show as not only is he one of the most informed and perceptive individuals currently working in the supply chain space, but because he's able to bring a unique perspective to the current needs of the supply chain industry. Joining Trevor is Bob Rogers, co-founder and CEO at OII.ai, an AI-powered cognitive modeling solution which is looking to prevent supply chain disruption. Initially starting out as an astrophysicist, Bob then turned his attention to what at the time was still the nascent world of AI. His subsequent dedication and proclivity to not only understand but also successfully articulate the virtues of artificial intelligence has seen Bob become one of the most well-respected and trusted voices in the space. I invited the pair on the show so that they could help us demystify artificial intelligence and explain how it can benefit the global supply chain. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Transform Talks. Uh, I'm really excited about this session because you're probably going to recognize one of the voices here, uh, Trevor, Bob, but you'll recognize Trevor because... If I'm not mistaken, I think this is the third time you've been on the show. That is correct, Maria. Yeah. Well, I'm obviously you're doing a good thing because we're glad to have you back here. And uh, uh, and, and Bob, you and I have done stuff before in the past at Transform Fest, and uh, I'm always excited to talk to you. So um, thank you for being here. All right, so I'm going to kick it off. Trevor, you know, the last time you and I were talking, we talked about, I think it was the start of the war in Ukraine, wasn't it? And uh you know, at the time, I think you were not very optimistic about our future prospects, right? So how do you feel about things now? And are you more or less optimistic? Well, I think uh, the war in Ukraine has kind of uh, disappeared from the front page, but it's still very much part of the global situation we find ourselves in. And I don't think it has decreased in intensity and is still a major threat to peace around the world. You know, as I said then, I thought we'd already started Third World War, and it was just uh, building up to a, a larger uh, crescendo. Of course, I hope that isn't the case, 
Um, but the relevance in terms of you know supply chain where we actually work is of course very disruptive as well. Um, and now we've seen the addition of inflation and uh, the great resignation on one side, but you know these topics are beginning to also impact the supply chains. So you know really the the question is not so much about uh, whether I'm optimistic or not optimistic. I think really the question is how are we capable of dealing with these frequent and large disruptions that are being forced upon us and how do we rejig our supply chains and everything else to be able to accommodate that. Um, you know, I can't predict the future and if I was uh, somebody in Russia, I would maybe think it's going well. If I was in Ukraine, I might have a different opinion. So, uh, but nevertheless, you know, it is about these frequent disruptions that really is the topic. It, it sure is. And I think if we if we look at um, uh, Bob, I guess the question's back to you because we, we you know, we've been seeing over the last couple of years that essentially supply chains and, and businesses and everybody, we weren't expecting all of these black swan events, one after the other, one after the other, kind of exposed some of the weaknesses in business and supply chain and so forth. Now, I know that the work that you do there at Orchestrated, which I'm always excited to hear about because it's really exciting, isn't it? Um, you know, you're using AI to alleviate some of these these issues. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing and, and how you hope to help supply chain leaders? Um, so we're, we're an AI-powered uh, solution to uh, design and optimize supply chains. And in fact, especially focusing on the, the downstream distribution of product from manufacturing out to customers. And... The, the starting point for that was this observation, actually even before the pandemic, that supply chain technology is designed with the assumption that the world is static. And so even when you're expecting a certain amount of variability in future demand or, uh, or network performance, the, the assumptions underlying how much variability to be prepared for and how you take that in and adapt to it really were uh, extremely weak. So uh, we were seeing that in uh, inefficiency in, in the way supply chains were configured and how uh, uh, the, the designs of supply chains were set and then allowed to just stay fixed for long periods of time, even after the, the performance continued to degrade as, as things changed. So the, uh, the idea was to build uh, technology that could really explicitly respond to changes in the underlying uh, characteristics of both supplier performance, network throughput, and lead time variability, and then also demand variability, all of which we've seen huge fluctuations during the pandemic and after some of the topics that, that Trevor was just talking about. And so the, uh, the idea has been to build technology that really explicitly makes supply chains adaptable to changing conditions and therefore resilient. Okay, but, you know, the topic of AI, right? It's, it's, it's one that's pretty much shrouded in a bit of mystery, a bit of hype, uh, and maybe even some fear, some mysticism, some sort of cloak and dagger uh, behind AI. Uh, I know that you you sort of addressed some of this in your book, didn't you, Bob? But 
maybe for the listeners here that uh, you'd like to explain perhaps the potential behind AI and why uh, the increasing proliferation of AI is in inevitability. Yeah, it's a it's a great question. So there's there's two there and there's two questions in there. First, AI, uh, you know, uh, how and why is it inevitable? What does it get us to? And you know, how do we address people's fears about AI? And I think um, I think Trevor will will have some uh, some points to weigh in on here as well, especially around you know how these things are applied to supply chain. So the, uh, the, the real opportunity with AI is that it creates tools to ingest large amounts of data that's changing rapidly and provide very focused information to humans and to processes. So, uh, you know, one of the, I can, I can give you uh, a, an example in, um, in, text processing or, you know, understanding documents, uh, worked with, a, with an organization, actually University of California, San Francisco Health System. They received 1.4 million faxes per year. And every single one of those faxes was first read by a human. Some details were transcribed by a human, which then put it in another queue for another human to transcribe more details. And it went on and on for as many as five steps, the, uh, the amount of human effort to read through these documents and transcribe and the degradation of the data as each step proceeded made it essentially impossible to then use the, the resultant data for much more than other human steps, scheduling patients and making clinical, clinical decisions. In other words, the the, the, the physical manual steps of pouring through all this data really crippled the entire system. And so we built AI to uh, process each document in one shot, extract all the information very accurately, enter it into the appropriate systems. And then from that point, now all the key information that the humans need to make their clinical decisions and to care for patients properly was all uh, was all at their fingertips. So the inevitability is about the fact that there are so many processes like processes like that that are just very very tedious and not particularly great for humans to do, but which can be made much more efficient with uh, using AI tooling. And um, and in fact, you know, we're seeing every everyone's talking about digitalization. We just came back from the. Uh, from an event in, in uh, Berlin around uh, CPG supply chain. the Probably the most common topic, uh, perhaps after sustainability, was uh, digitalization and, and the, the proliferation of data, both good data and bad data. So AI helps you process that data, get the information into people's hands so that it can be acted on properly. And that's actually the answer to the second question about people's fear. AI, when it's, when it's applied properly, is really augmented intelligence, not artificial intelligence. And so what we're doing is we're putting the right information in the hands of people, and therefore people are still at the center of getting the right things done, but we're taking away some of those rote tasks that are, uh, are not really good for, uh, for people to do. So that's kind of 
that's that's kind of my view. It's AI is really about about processing large amounts of data, improving being able to improve how you respond over time, and then putting good information in the hands of people. So it's it's really a win win. Yeah, I was just going to say, Trevor, if you could build on this for supply chain. Yes, I, I'd love to build on that. Uh, in fact, at this conference that Bob mentioned, CBG Connect in Berlin, there was a presentation uh, jointly between Unilever and McLaren, where Unilever has used the technology developed by McLaren to get uh, deeper insights into what was going on in their uh, ice cream manufacture. And it was once they started actually instrumenting measure they could reduce the uh, wastage quite dramatically by just understanding when slippage occurred, when things weren't aligned, and why they were not aligned. And they could not have found that without that deeper instrumentation and an analysis of those things. But the most important thing, I think, that was said there, which is a, a, um, a combination of understanding AI as well as the trusting AI, type of question. The McLaren uh, presenter was talking about Ron Dennis, who is very famous in the McLaren team as being the pit boss and the leader of McLaren. And, you know, he was quite ruthless in the pit and getting them to change very fast and everything else like that. And when people had to change. But once they started instrumenting the cars, he realized that they had far deeper information and far better information about how the cars were performing, when they should come in for a pit stop, and all of this type of stuff, that he had to step back and focus more on the team management than the data analysis. So this is trusting the AI. But what I find fascinating in all of this, Maria, is that you know we can go back centuries, even today, we always have this process of building a model and then going and uh, analyzing how that model works. And in ancient times, it was the gods. You know, the gods knew about the future. So you'd have to go and pay some homage to the gods and ask for their guidance about when the rain was going to come or whether you're going to have a sun or something else like that. But it's always remained that aspect of you needing to build a model of your world that you can understand and that you believe is going to give you the future. It's only fairly recently that it became mathematical models that we developed to try and do the same thing about mathematical systems. Um, and yet it's, you know, we, we look at so many of the planning solutions that are out there right now. They use linear programming optimization for a highly nonlinear system. They use monthly buckets for uh, things that are varying far more frequently. Uh, there are all sorts of ways in which the model is actually not a very good representation of what is happening in the supply chain, and yet we use them. And the greatest lack is actually the adoption of, of variability. All of the planning solutions right now do not actually represent the supply chain in terms of a set of distributions but rather a set of single values. Do you know what, Trevor, I'm going to interrupt you there because I remember vividly what you said in one of my last uh, conversations with you where you talked about, because it, it stuck with me, it's a very good one, which is you said something about how what's missing from all of our planning tools is some mechanism that tells us what's the likelihood of achieving the plan. 
So are we closer to that? Yes, uh, it's not the, the problem that OII is focused on right now, but it's very close to what OII is focused on now because OII is focused on, well, what policy should we set? Uh, how should we distribute? What, how much inventory should we keep? Where should we keep it? In, in terms of how to operate the supply chain very effectively. Now, that process of setting supply chain policy used to be done maybe a quarter, but usually once a year. And it was a project-based thing. And by the way, people would look at capacity separately from inventory. But with all of these disruptions, there's this need to push this much closer and do it far more frequently, and it's, to a large extent do it event-based. So what you need is something that's measuring or instrumenting your supply chain to tell you when significant events have happened. That then requires a reconfiguration. But you have to do it with a model that is fairly detailed enough to actually represent what's going on in the supply chain. And part of that detail must be the distributions. If you try and optimize the supply chain without representation of the variability, you're just in a world of hurt. As I was saying, this is exactly what Bob was saying, or uh, at the beginning, this whole linear, this this whole linear thing, you know, that we're or assuming that supply chain is static. Yes, exactly. So you know, there are two sides to it: is that uh, the static means that we think that there might be variability, but it doesn't change. It might be an, uh, a certain lead time, but it doesn't change. And these things are just patently incorrect. Both the variability is variable and the lead times or the throughputs, the expected values are variable. And this has to be included. And Bob, uh, you know, has built a lot of this into OII as a way of uh, creating resilient supply chains by design. That's a, that's a great way to put it, Trevor. Thank you. And, you know, it's interesting, this, this ability to uh, process data on a, you know, on a daily time frame using full, full, fully representational models of the supply chain and not uh, needing to aggregate to family, uh, you know, product families or, or make linear assumptions on this, as you said, highly nonlinear system. Um, someone asked me once, well, doesn't that mean it's a whole lot more complicated for people? You know, we, we, there's so much going on. And it goes back to my original point about AI the AI tooling is there to make it very easy. It's actually easier to get the real story in real time from uh, a well-instrumented system like OII than, uh, than it is to try to do things man manually on uh, more coarsely aggregated data. So it's actually a win-win from that point of view as well, that uh, the, the accuracy and responsiveness and resilience is higher but the burden on the individual user is actually less. So Bob, following on from what we've just been saying, do you think that there is a future without AI? I mean, it, it seems like despite the, the distrust that we have or this mystery and hype, AI is just the only way to process all of the mountains of data that we are you know, accumulating, right? Yeah, well, I can, I can start and I'm sure uh, Trevor will have some, some good good uh, additional comments, um, it really comes down to the feedback loop. So uh, machine learning, uh, you know, of which a AI uh, is, is 
often, most often machine learning, is the idea that you feed data to a computer algorithm or some sort of program. It learns from that data and then it can make a decision or answer a question based on new data that it sees. There is, um, there is a crucial additional step that people sometimes forget about, which is the feedback loop. Um, you, when your algorithm gives you a, a, a prediction or an answer that you disagree with, if you note that and then later go back and retrain the algorithm with those updated responses that are sort of like corrections, uh, then the algorithm gets better. So it, if you don't have the feedback loop, it's machine learned, not machine learning. When the feedback loop is instrumented, then you have machine learning and, uh, and the process continues, the algorithms evolve. But the way that works for, for business processes is as people see outputs, they, they start to learn where there are challenges in the way they're using, using technology. And so some of the adaptation is about improving processes that lead to the generation of the data or lead to the, to the, um, the, the behaviors in the first place. So that feedback loop tends to improve how we incorporate uh, the data and the output from the models in our, in our day-to-day business. So that, that cycle is gonna continue to evolve. And in fact, I think a, a good example is uh, when we when we ingest data from customers at OII, we have a number of AI sort of machine learning streams that predict where the where the data what the data means. You know, every customer's data is a little bit different, so they predict how that relates to concepts that we already know. I mean, whether it's safety stock or a replenishment model, um, it also uh, the models also identify where data has systematic problems. So uh, this is, you know, you can flag up a place where, hmm, there's something, there's something suspicious about this data. Either it's lagging or it's got errors in it or it's been misinterpreted. And that, the, the, that then drives a feedback loop where you ask questions to the customer. They often find that they need to uh, retool a process to improve that, that original source of data so that their system works better. And so all of these things sort of, the, the interaction from the output of the systems going back to the beginning tends to reinforce how people use the, the AI technology. I think it brings, brings the business and the, and, the, and the tooling more in alignment. Yeah, Maria, some other quick points that I want to add with what Bob was saying about the feedback loop. Um, of course, the model was trained on a set of data that is representing a certain set of conditions. The importance of the feedback loop might be that now conditions have changed and therefore different responses required. So, you know, a very simple thing would be uh, humidity in the manufacturing of, of sugar. <laughs> you know, if the humidity goes up, it's going to uh, congeal. Uh, it won't granulate as nicely and all of this type of stuff. So, um, so this is the core to what it is that we're trying to address in um, OII, is that the conditions in the supply chain are changing. The macro conditions, the micro conditions, 
you know, customers begin to order more frequently or less frequently in larger lots or smaller lots. Uh, manufacturing uh, uh, processes get longer, more variable, all of this type of stuff. And you set up your supply chain under conditions that you experienced at the time that you originally set it up. So you need that feedback loop to say, hey, these conditions have changed. And because these conditions have changed, these are the changes you should be making in the way in which you operate your supply chain. So it is then the adaptive machine learning model that's adapting to the conditions that are out there. And why that's important, you know, I can remember with Canaxis talking to one of the large CPG companies. Now, this is about 10 years ago. I'm sure the processes have changed. But um, I asked them when they had last set the parameters that they were using in the older planning system. And the person said five years ago when we first deployed the solution. And very simple question is, do you think your conditions have changed? Your operating conditions have changed since then. And he said, of course they have. So this then gets directly to the heart of what it is that we're talking about at OII. Is that change? Now, you know, trust and processes. Uh, this is where I love the, the story about Dennis, because he had to learn that trust. He had to change the way he was doing things. It's no good continuing to do the same things that you did before and expect different results. There has to be a modification, and this has to come through people changing the way, as Bob has said, trust in the system enough to uh, notice its augmentation of their capability. So it's not about replacing the human, it's about giving them the ability to analyze more data more quickly and get insights that they couldn't have done because of the large quantity of information that's available. So. To both of you, what does, and you said it at the start, Trevor, that you're not a, a fortune teller, you're not going to predict the future, but I'm going to ask you to sort of give us some sense of prediction. Where are we headed in the short term? Uh, sure. So, so in terms of technology directly applied to supply chain, I think we're, we're going to be finding that it's, it's literally no longer um, standard operating procedure or acceptable standard operating procedure to have a disconnect between designing supply chains and setting parameters and monitoring the actual characteristics of the supply chain, lead times and you know the, the way network activities are, are varying all over the place and the way demand is fluctuating. Um, it will it will no longer be um, workable to have those things disconnected, and we're going to see a I think transformational move to having our supply chains instrumented to measure all their characteristics, than to reconfigure themselves in an automated way, but in an automated way where humans are still at the center making the decisions, but as we said, getting that information right at their fingertips, uh, it, you know, not in five years, as they had in, in, the, in Trevor's example, but immediately or, you know, within within, uh, you know, hours or a day. And um, that really changes the the rules of the game in terms of how you how you uh, can can control your supply chain and adapt. In fact, that's 
it's something we haven't touched on uh, as as much but there's when when systems are instrumented you begin to have more control you know your knobs are connected to the thing that you're trying to connect and if you haven't changed your parameters for 5 years you can you can twiddle around all you want and you're just not you're there's just a, a disconnect between how you're trying to run your supply chain and what's actually happening down below. And so having the linkages in place and having that immediacy and that ability to respond, I think that's that's absolutely gonna um, gonna change things in supply chain. Trevor, do you wanna do you wanna pile on? And of course, there are comments around just AI more broadly as well, but starting with you know supply chain. Uh, Maria, I'm very uh, happy to see some very smart young people beginning to take leading roles in supply chain. Um, these are digital natives. Uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Excel was a stated capability on a resume. Okay, nobody would dream of that uh, today because it's just assumed capability. Uh, same thing with these young people. They just know how to go and find data and how to analyze it. They don't necessarily need to uh, go to the IT department. And in fact, I'm very encouraged uh, that I'm beginning to hear much more frequent reference to operational te technology or OT, which is the technology in the hands of the business people, not technology in terms of the IT department. So this is where these young people are coming through with the skills where they can quickly navigate uh, to find the data, mash it together, uh, present results. Uh, so I think uh, we can only wait for these people to be accelerated through the organization and we'll see big changes coming through. I hope so. And I hope it's up to our generation to sort of guide, to sort of guide this younger generation on the business value or the commercial value, maybe the end-to-end -end sort of view of the impact of supply chain worldwide. Trevor, Bob, I want to thank you both for appearing on the podcast, for talking to me. It's always such a pleasure. It's so insightful. Um, I'm sure we'll see you again and more things. So uh, uh, Trevor and Bob, thank you. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much, Mary. And for those of you watching, we'll catch you at the next one.